Maybe. Yes, sir! Welcome, everyone, to the You're Still Out Golf Podcast, part of the Sports Pros Network, where we're always talking sports, so let's start the conversation. I'm your host, Keith Needham, and I'm joined in studio, as always, by my good friend and self-proclaimed golf sicko, Mr. Jonathan Till. JT, how you doing this evening, bud? Keith, always good to be with you. How am I doing is some mix of uh, deflated, a little energy-sapped, probably has a lot to do with... Uh, the Masters being behind us now, uh, also probably some, uh, you know, a little bit of hangover from the uh, the COVID uh, precautions going on right now with virtual schooling. I've been a kindergarten teacher half day <laughs> each of the last two days, and so between the Masters coming to a close and uh, the real life snapping me back to reality. Yeah, a little, little, little jebby, a little low energy jeb right now. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it for you guys. No we worries. Did. We we had a little uh, a brief snippet there on Saturday afternoon and Sunday, right? Kind of a Sunday morning, I should say, of a little, little bit of heaven there where we were allowed to indulge a little bit but yeah for our listeners out here so jtl always has his you know uh, i don't want to say ipad right it's a what microsoft uh, touch or whatever it Mm -hmm. is Uh, but the home screen that brought up was his kids uh, elementary school login so he is not lying (laughs) about that he was he's definitely playing a a teacher at home now uh, as as a proud papa uh, for his uh, his two runs but uh, uh, yeah i mean you mentioned i saw the tweet earlier Today, JT, where you sent out, where it's always a little bit bittersweet about deleting the Masters app uh, for for a few, yeah. uh, you know, which you know the good thing about it, I guess, if there's a silver lining, JT, is that we don't have to wait 12 months for the next Masters. That right? is we have true. To wait essentially we have five a, months, right? You we tweeted have a 143 days or something, 40 yeah. plus yeah. days till we get back after it. Be here um, before we know it. You know, and and, uh, and in addition to it not being as long until the Masters, even not. As long of a downtime between, you know, meaningful golf, yeah, we might say. Pl- you know, players when you talk kicking about off in March. Yeah. Players kicking off in March. You know, even as early as January when they go out to Hawaii, that always seems to get uh, golf fans kind of interested again or juice back up. And so that only being, you know, mid-November to the first of January. Yeah, we can uh, we can make it through the holidays with a little bit of uh, inconsequential golf, but. Uh, you're right. Always bittersweet to come off the Masters on a high and uh, and know that we're going to have a, a little bit of a wait before we get to see a major golf tournament played again. But, uh, man, that being said, what a Masters. I know we're going to dive deep, Masters. deep, deep yep. into it. We caught a lot of the Masters at Chuck, and I know we want to give a little love to those guys, as always. Absolutely. Before we dive into the recap that was the Masters 2020, we have to show some love to Chalk uh, as our primary sponsor. And again, Chalk is Oklahoma City's premier luxury sports bar located in Chisholm Creek Plaza at 1324 West Memorial Road. Follow Ben, Chad, and the whole Chalk team on the web at ChalkOKC.com or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at ChalkOKC. Again, they were tremendous hosts this past Saturday afternoon where J-Till and I were posted up there for damn near six hours, I think, right, J-Till? We were there for a minute uh, watching all the third-round action on Saturday, and they do a tremendous job. Uh, Great food, great atmosphere, whatever your sporting event is, right, whether it's golf, 
whether it's college football, the pro, NBA, right? We get the NBA draft tomorrow night kicking off, all kinds of other crazy stuff that's going to be happening over the next uh, couple of weeks as we end or wrap up uh, this 2020 season, I should say, and kind of turn the corner into 2021. But fantastic job by those guys. A a tremendous uh, sports bar, a tremendous place to hang out and have a good time. Always the favorite. That's Chalk Luxury Sports Bar. And again, Ben Mason, he was on. We we had our live segments. Did a tremendous job. Absolutely knocked it out of the park. Uh, One of of the the best people you're ever going to meet. Chad, the the whole crew was there. We had Scooter Gers on. We had, I'm trying to think back to all the live feeds. Scooter, we had Um, Butterball show Butterball, the CFF. We had uh, had a Local guy out in Vegas, you know. Yeah, Michael Palmer, uh, Palmer out in Vegas. In, yep, yep. Uh, letting us bug him on his vacation. Talk about the scene out there. So, yeah, tremendous time at Chalk. And then I, I do have to say, in this environment, you know, they're doing a great job with being responsible when it comes to the social distancing, wearing masks, having extra things in place from a cleaning perspective, hand sanitizers, Staff doing a great job, so uh, that's only going to ramp up, obviously, with some of the recent stuff that came out from from Governor Stitt. But uh, in addition to our typical kind of ad read, and and, uh, got to throw that on there as well, because I know that a lot of folks are skittish right now about going out and about, certainly inside, but uh, Chalk certainly seems to be taking that serious and taking care of folks when they come in. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And again, yeah, you mentioned it there. Governor did the announcements earlier this week here in Oklahoma, I guess it was yesterday, uh, about some new uh, rules and regulations that are going into place for restaurants and bars. And I'm sure that uh, Ben and, and Chad and that entire crew will uh, summarily uh, uh, follow those rules and then uh, kind of go above and beyond. But yeah, they, they do a great job. Uh, lots of space out there as well. kind of helps whenever they've got, uh, got a big shop there. A lot of uh, square footage to be able to space patrons out and, uh, and and be able to do so safely. Uh, so don't forget about those guys. Uh, swing by Chalk, uh, whether it be at lunch, dinner, or brunch, even on the weekends, right? They have a tremendous brunch menu as well. Yes, so please. don't don't forget about our local restaurants and bars. You know, J. Till, we have to recap what was a, a tremendous and very memorable Masters, again, uh, given that it was taking place in November. I don't think that we'll ever forget this in our lifetime, regardless of how it shook out and regardless of what the drama was going to be on a Sunday the afternoon, but I guess to a certain degree, there wasn't a whole lot of drama down the back nine, right? So uh, a, a young man by the name of Dustin Johnson essentially ran away with this thing, right? So 20 under, the final score, the winning score there, an all-time record at Augusta for the Masters, right? The previous record being 18 under that uh, the Big Cat you know, scored, what, 97, I think, right? When right. his first Masters, and then Jordan Spieth, uh, matched that record a few years ago in 2015, 2015, right? So, uh, but uh, DJ says no. In 2020, 20 under is going to be the winning number, and that's what I'm going to post. But uh, gotta love that. But just talk about DJ uh, in his four rounds there at the Masters again. Absolutely incredible performance, right? Well, you know, the old saying is the Masters does not start until the back nine on Sunday. I would say DJ had other plans because while there was a time on Sunday, I think the lead may have even gotten trimmed to one. He kept everybody pretty much at arm's length throughout the weekend, really, by shooting um, 
I want to say it was the best round of the day on both Saturday and Sunday. So he dropped. He definitely tied. Yeah, definitely tied for it on Sunday. He dropped sixty-five on Saturday. He shoots sixty-eight on Sunday, and that is when you know somebody is in complete control. Not only out in front leading the tournament, but going ahead and playing as well as anybody else in the field after leading. And so uh, he certainly did not adhere to that old mantra. You know, I think the just dominant performance this weekend, for sure, at the Masters, when you look back at his last eight golf tournaments, uh, starting with the Masters and going sequentially back, we got, obviously, first the Masters, T2, sixth, first, second, first, Tied for second, tied for 12th in his last eight. And that includes, obviously, winning the Masters, sixth at the U.S. Open, tied for second at the PGA. If you want to go more macro and say last eight majors, first, tied for second, sixth, 51st, 35th, but then second, tied for second. If you want to go the Masters the last five years, just the Masters tournament. First, tied for second, tied for 10th, tied for fourth, tied for sixth. So, yeah, I think dominance is the, uh, is the word of the weekend for this, for this golf tournament. But I think we've seen uh, when you kind of 30,000-foot level, as folks like to say, we've seen dominance from DJ for uh, a multitude of years now. And if anything, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later, that second major win – probably cements him into a you know a, a little bit higher echelon in the game and just kind of want to say validates but I think I think confirms is a better way to put it um, what we've seen from him as a generational talent on the golf course yeah and you would expect that there would be plenty more majors to follow at this point right you would have expect you would expect now you would have expected that after he won at Oakmont arguably the hardest championship venue in major golf you would have expected back in 2016 that he would have knocked off several since then so while yes you would expect it we've gone four years since his last one that's surprising yeah. can't imagine we'd go four years before another one especially when he gets to turn right back around and get back after the masters uh here in in five months but yes i would think that uh, the major tally will continue to increase. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit more in, in context of the greater history of the game, a little bit more in the podcast. But, uh, you know, DJ's dominance, fairly easy storyline. We've got a lot of other things, starting with the guy who, I mean... Let's talk about the guys where, who finished where, second, you know, right? Where DJ yeah. was very clinical and very um, you know methodical, never seemed to be in doubt. <laughs> We had some guys that uh, ham and egged it around quite a bit um, to to finish in that second. Uh, where do you want to start with those guys? Well, I think we have to start with Cam Smith, right? Yeah, so, Aussie. Again, essentially changed one of the trivia questions that our man Chad Ford asked you last week, trying to trip you up, JT. So he, that question that was posed was, you know, which golfer has shot has shot four rounds sub seventy in the Masters. Uh, in the same tournament, obviously, uh, through a, through a four round tournament, and the answer was no one, but no more. No uh, more says Cam Smith because he shoots a 67, 68, 69, 69, 
to finish in a distant second place. I guess it's surprising to say that he finished uh, 15 under, shot four rounds in the 60s, the first golfer to ever do so at the Masters and still still lost by five strokes, which is a, a testament to DJ's incredible performance. Certainly not taking a, a, a slight at uh, or taking a shot at Cam Smith, but, you know, Incredible performance by Cam Smith, doing something that no golfer has ever done at the Masters. But I think we have to start with that stash, JT. Oh. I mean, that was Larry Bird esque. Larry I mean, Bird esque. Great blonde, wispy stash. I mean, he 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 was a sexy man out on the golf course this week. He had the right? long, flowing hair coming out from behind the hat. Had this stash going. Had some swagger going with the outfits, you know, where we had a lot of guys that uh, really oh, lots it of lots of fans, fashion the, uh, talk coming, fashion yeah, faux yeah. pas. Mm-hmm. You know, Cam had the perfect mix of, um, you know, I would say daring fashion with some of his polo choices. Uh, had a, had a had a very crispy little brown belt on. You don't see the brown belt out on tour anymore. Really pulled that off nicely. So he really was vibing all tournament long. And that um, shown out in his play, again, he did it in a completely different way than DJ. We're talking, he was all over the place. He was in the trees. He was in the rough. He was uh, you know, leaving it uh, himself short-sighted around the greens and seemingly just uh, could do no wrong, getting it up and down, making putts. Uh, again, we'll, we'll talk a little bit uh, later on about memorable shots. He had a, definitely a two really, really great recovery shots on Sunday uh, to put himself in position for for birdies. But got to love Cam Smith, love his vibe. You know, it's not, probably not all that sustainable if he can't figure out how to keep it a little bit more, you know, between the ditches off the tee, which given him a better chance for hitting more greens in regulation. But uh, certainly fun to watch. And I think we could all agree that, you know, think about like a Phil, Phil Mickelson you know, where Tiger was this robotic, I'm going to win and I'm going to hit it in the fairway, I'm going to hit it on the green, and I'm two-putt for par or birdies on par fives. Everybody loves Phil because he'll shoot the same kind of scores, but it looks crazy and recovery shots from everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Cam Smith is a little bit like that, and yes is now the answer to that trivia question. And uh, I didn't get a chance to look up the exact number uh, before I came over. I know I've heard it, but... How many times in a Masters history would 15 under have won the golf tournament? I mean, I got to believe it's a lot. And uh, maybe as we're chatting, I'll be able to, to kind of look it up. But I got to believe those it's two, two years where Tiger and Spieth both shot 18 under, right? It wouldn't have been enough those two years, but I, I can't recall a whole lot of finishes at 16 or 17. Yeah, under, I, right? I got to believe it's less than five times in Masters history. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, were, that better, years, right? 80, that better than 15 under yeah. would have won. So, uh, just an unreal performance by uh, Cam and and our guy Sung Jay, which I know we're going to get into. Um, but yeah, to to have four rounds in the sixties and not win yet become the trivia question has to sting a little bit. But uh, knowing what I know about Cameron Smith, very laid back dude, probably went home, kicked back a couple of cold ones, and just enjoyed the moment. Uh, from playing so well, those Aussies have a di- different feel. About a little them, bit right? different so they're, attitude. They're usually pretty laid back guys. Uh, easy, easy to have a uh, have a good time with. And uh, 
throw back a couple of brewskis. But, well, you have to mention the guy that matched him right at 15 under, oh, our, yeah. our guy uh, Sungjae, right? So, which, you know, you, a guy that you've been riding in the pick all summer long, and, again, I know our guy Barrett kind of threw some heat at you in tw- on Twitter uh, leading into the Masters saying, hey, you, you've been riding Sungjae all along. Why are you not picking him this week? But, I mean, a tremendous performance by him. And I'll tell you, J.T., you know, I in the Butler cabin after his final round on Sunday. You know, um, uh, what's her face? Uh, Amanda uh, Maliolis. Amanda Maliolis. Yeah, had the, had the post round interviews there, and obviously Sungjae had a, had an a, uh, interpreter there. But I'll tell you, his you could tell his passion and his enjoyment and his absolute. Uh, he was tickled to death with with his performance, right? And I think yeah. his, his his interpreter essentially said, like, hey, look, I was just hoping to make the cut, right? The fact that I shot 15 <laughs> under and finished second, I'm just over the moon. Was and giddy. his first and Masters. And you, you could see the smile, and uh, even though we couldn't understand what he was saying, right, So, but uh, through uh, through his own voice. But an incredible performance for him. Again, um, you know, the I want to say one of the best performances by a first-time uh, a player in the Masters, right? So just uh, yeah, yeah, fantastic by uh, by him. Yeah. First time at the Masters, he was absolutely just rock solid off the tee. I would even say boring off the tee. And when you call somebody boring off the tee, that means that it's just five-yard fade, five-yard fade, yep. five-yard fade. And where he got himself in trouble, unlike Cam, who couldn't keep it on the planet off the tee, Sungjae found himself quite a bit, certainly on Sunday, with uh, places around the green that you really should not be putting yourself. For as many fairways as he was hitting, he was putting himself short-sighted, thick, rough. And I've watched him a lot this year, uh, and even last year in his rookie year, and didn't really realize, remember, maybe maybe this was a you know, an oddity of a week, how good the short game is because there was I'm telling you at least three times and Scooter, Tybee, some guys that I was watching the final round with can attest to this at least three times I said that's an impossible up and down no way he's going to do it boom par and kudos to Sungjae for for stepping up yes you could tell he was just enamored with uh, playing so well you know it was funny on the pod, I think it was Saturday, we uh, talked about how the great thing about Sungjae is he has a suitcase and a golf bag. Doesn't, <laughs> yeah, doesn't, have, doesn't a have a house, left. right? Just one week after another. Interesting yeah. development. Uh, found this out on Sunday as I was doing some reading leading into the final round. Just last week, he actually closed on a house in Atlanta. Oh, well, you know, congrats so, you to know, him. I like to make fun of the, uh, it's a virtual home game. You know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, let's see, he's close to home. That that makes him the favorite. You know, even though we've said that in the pod, I don't know how that really is relevant to them uh, playing well. But now, Sungjae, you know, we can call it virtually a home game just a, a couple hours down the road in Atlanta, right? So clearly he was vibing on his newfound residency in Georgia. Well, I look forward to uh, to kind of you know maybe seeing him on Cribs right coming up. Is that, oh. is that even a show on MTV anymore? Right, this, I'm kind of dating myself yeah, here. You're I'm really old, right? Yourself, but uh, you know, let's 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 uh, think about it this way. You know, Sung Jay and Cam Smith in a tie for second, they both netted uh, just over a cool million, right? A million uh, million twelve thousand dollars. Uh, as they split the second and third for second. Uh, yeah, so not too shabby there. So that's probably that's probably enough for a good down payment on a nice home there in Atlanta, right? Yeah, I'm so. sure he was sweating uh, after you know signing the papers last week how he was going to pay for it, <laughs> but now he, he should be all good. If the pressure's I, I, on, he comes I, through. I was able to find it uh, only six times in Masters history, 
and I believe this was the 84th playing of the Masters. I think it's right, 84th, yeah. That 15-under wouldn't have got it done. Uh, a seventh time, uh, Patrick Reed was 15-under back in 2018. So that, that, that one, that one doesn't count, right? Play. Uh, that one yeah, doesn't count. That's total asterisk by that because I'm sure he cheated to, uh, to get to 15-under. But, yeah, I counted it up. Only six times in Masters history would 15-under not have been good enough to at least get to a playoff, uh, but most likely win the golf tournament. And so both Cam and uh, our man Hung Jay, as we like to call him, uh, would have gotten it done in any other year. Uh, but DJ, 20-under, just greatness, man. That's incredible. I mean, we're looking at that leaderboard now. In 2007, Zach Johnson was one over and won it. That was the winning score. Is that yes. right, 2007? That's yeah, incredible. 2007, yeah. Zach Johnson at one over. That was the year that it was really, really cold at Augusta, really, really windy. Everything was playing just firm, hard. It was really tough out there. Really, really, really tough conditions, as Tiger would say. And uh, I want to say that was one of the few scores where over par won it was uh, – was that uh, year in 2007. Even par by Jack. And uh, yeah, even from Jack in 66. I uh, had a drink. Uh, somebody tried to quiz me offline about the only uh, two-time Masters winners in, in history. I nailed that one. No big deal. And uh, looks like Sneed. Again, now we're getting a little bit you know, way back there. These guys were barely playing with real golf clubs back then. But 54, Sam Sneed won over par. And uh, those were the only other two rounds. Look at that contrast, though, J.T. in 65 and 66. So Jack wins it with a 17 under and then turns around and wins it the next year and wins it even par, right? Do you think they made some adjustments to the course, right? Speak to the greatness of Jack Jack Jack-proofed the course as opposed to Tiger-proofed it back then? Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And I think that speaks to greatness because if if one year it's a birdie fest and the next year you win it even par, talk about uh, another example of Jack being a arguably the greatest of all time and that would definitely definitely show it now obviously tiger has done a lot of those things as well he's as capable of winning at 18 under as he is at uh even par but uh yeah kind of coming all the way back to those two guys very impressive very impressive for uh you know cam playing his third masters uh, sung jay in his first to be right there and you know Unfortunately, it was for the silver medal, but really played well on Sunday and didn't didn't fold. I think they both they both sixty nine on Sunday, both three under. Yeah, on Sunday. both sixty nine, right? So, so one, one stroke behind. You know, they both uh, shoot yeah. three under. Yeah. That's certainly not gagging yep. it away. Absolutely but when you got not. DJ just putting the the pedal down, uh, impressive stuff and a lot of fun. You know, I kind of kind of ragged on the leaderboard uh, there on Saturday as we closed it out. You know, we had good, good stuff at the top. That, that was the Isaiah's talking from to you. Uh, that. DJ you and that. JT, at least at that point, and then a, a relatively weak uh, rest of the top five or six. But they certainly did not go away, at least in those two cases. We'll talk about some folks that I did go away a little bit later. But uh, yeah, can't say enough good things. And two guys, frankly, I got, if you listen to this podcast, you definitely know that I'm not blowing smoke. That certainly Sung Jay, I talk about him all the time, have also mentioned Cam Smith. Several times, uh, may have mentioned it on the pod, that uh, the 2019 se- season, I totally took our guy Chris Caldwell to the yeah. cleaners doing a Cam Smith versus the cam, cam off, Champ. right? The Cam off, cam right? Cam versus yeah. Cam. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't even close. I think he conceded that bet about May before you know, we had all the way to December, and he uh, he just went ahead and uh, and paid up on that one. But, yeah. Well, it should be it. said that Cam Champ finished a tied, tied for 19th, a six under. So, he had, had a decent yeah, showing at the Masters week. this week. So. But uh, nowhere near uh, 15 under. Great but, uh, future ahead of him, yeah, we'll absolutely. call it. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you mentioned Big Cat in there, right? So Tiger and some of the things that he's done in the past. So, you know, we have to talk about Tiger's back nine on Sunday and certainly a unique back nine for Tiger, right? So it starts with a 10 on 12. I shouldn't say it starts, right? It's the back nine. But we have to start off with that 10 there on 12. Unbelievable. Hits it in the water three times. And then showing true greatness, J. Till, he kind of dusts himself off and he birdies five out of the last six hoes to say, hey, that's not how I'm, I'm not going out that way, right? So I'm going to get this thing back. And so an incredible performance. It really an was. An incredible, you know, kind of the mindset and kind of just ties into what Tiger's all about to say, yeah, no, that was a crappy hole, gang, but that's, I'm not going to let that define me and define my my final round here uh, at this 2020 Masters. And he comes out and just birdies five out of the last six. So not something we've really seen from him uh, from a scorecard standpoint, I would say. So the most arguably the interesting 76 that he's posted <laughs> in, in a final round of the Masters uh, in his career. Sure. But, uh, yeah, you get, you get to talk a little bit about the big cat, right? So, obviously, the defending champ, we get to see him put the green jacket on DJ. Very uh, cool. Sunday, uh, I guess it was kind of early afternoon, yes, right? So, given the early start. But uh, um, gracious in that uh, performance there, or at least a, that um, – gesture uh, as you would expect tiger to be but talk a little bit about that back nine and uh, just just some of the i guess the mental fortitude that big cat showed coming down the stretch well yeah i want to get into to talking about that back nine specifically on um sunday i guess we should call it the second nine so the masters folks don't uh litigate us once again i'm sure we've already gotten six or seven <laughs> yeah, lawsuits uh, just in the past week but for those who may have not listen to any of the segments on our podcast that we were doing live at Chalk and are kind of just listened to, to this one as a, as their full Masters recap. I want, to, I want to start by saying Tiger played brilliantly on Thursday, four under par 68, his first round in the 60s. It's crazy to think about the um, first opening round. In first the 60s, opening round yeah. in the 60s uh, since 2010. That was his only other round uh, in the 60s in his first round Masters career. And really played flawlessly. Comes out, plays plays okay on Sunday. Little one under finishes or Friday, uh, Friday, Friday, yeah, Friday. Excuse me. And you feeling pretty good about his chances at that point. You know he's five under. I think DJ was tied with a few other guys at nine, nine. under par, yep. so mm-hmm. he's four back. And then just kind of got stuck in neutral there on uh, Saturday. But yes, coming into Sunday, he's certainly not uh, in contention. And uh, plays a, kind of a seesaw front nine and then comes to number 12. Ironically, the hole that in 2019, he steps up after seeing ultimately four other guys hit it in the water. And this veteran and move hits it center of the green. Iconic, what's becoming an iconic picture of him already walking across the bridge, standing over on the green while Finau and Molinari are back on the other side of the creek, hitting their uh, what would be third shots onto the green. Kind of like, hey guys, I'm over here. Why aren't you over here? Awesome photo. But to have that hole that really turned the tournament on its nose a year ago or 18 months ago, to have that be the hole that he comes out. <laughs> and makes a 10 on, yes, blows tee shot in the water, hit, hits tee shot onto the bank, rolls back in. Third shot onto the bank, rolls back in. <laughs> then he hits it in the back bunker, skulls it out of the bunker, back in the creek. A tough, Find, tough bunker shot there, kind of really a down, tough down slope, and yeah. a, it was going to be tough to keep it on the green. Yeah, Add it all up, it does add up to a 10. I know it's his highest score ever on a par 3, maybe his highest score ever on a hole, and then, yes, at that point, thank goodness, like, 
once for once, people shouldn't complain about why they show in Tiger since he's so far out of it because he comes back. Birdies five of the was it five of the last six. Yeah, yeah. I four, mean, four teams. The only hole he did not birdie after just that. a yeah. clinical performance, and it's like, yeah, that's some grit. That is some mental fortitude and some pride, right? I'm not going to go out like that. And really cool to see. You know, he was playing uh, alongside um, Ricky Fowler. Lowry. I think Lowry, Lowry was in that group yeah, too, right? And so, yeah. you know, just kind of like I'm not going to fold and and kind of kind of fritter this thing away. So finishes for the tournament one under par um, with a ten on a hole. You know, seven over par on one hole and finishes one under for the tournament. Incredible, and I think that uh, I certainly tweeted this out a couple times and uh, said it maybe once on the pod, but anytime that you can see Tiger Woods at Augusta National, I certainly would equate it to being able to see Babe Ruth hop back up and yet another time in Yankee Stadium and see if he can hit one out of the ballpark is uh, really what Tiger, what the level Tiger is on. So forget how he compares to other golfers. It's how does he compare to other all-time athletes. And, uh, yeah, that five out of six closing out Sunday in style really I just – you know, what else can what else can he do to cement the legacy? And I think once again he steps up to the table and gets it done with that that closeout on Sunday. Very cool stuff. I, I was I was loving it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, just just shows really a testament to his greatness, right? So the fact that he would have such a debacle on one hole and then come back and say, Yeah, I'm just gonna go ahead and birdie birdie them all from here on out. And again, you think of those closing holes of seventeen and eighteen in particular, it's like those aren't easy holes. It's oh, not no. like there's a ton of birdies being given up on seventeen and eighteen, you know. We think about 13, 15, 16 being traditional holes that you can attack with good shots on the back nine uh, at Sunday uh, there uh, at Augusta. But, uh, yeah, 17 and 18, those uh, those are few and far between. And he said, no, no I'm going to go ahead and birdie them all. So uh, impressive performance and uh, look forward to uh, to seeing Tiger back there again in just 140 41, 40 days or 140 Stay days. healthy, Cat. Stay Absolutely. healthy. So, uh, well, you know, obviously the biggest net positive, I would say, Jay Till, of a DJ win at the Masters on Sunday was the fact that we got quite a few shots of um, Paulina, the lovely, on the, the lovely so, Paulina, hugs and kisses Gretzky. all around for the uh, the the victor uh, on the 18th green there. But uh, you know, a relatively understated Adidas jumpsuit, right? So you know, she was, she was keeping Paulina, it there, no you know, bringing out the sponsors uh, and, and showing them some love there, but. Uh, Good for DJ, I guess is all I can say. J. Till, so I don't, yeah, I, I don't mean, know what direction uh, I want to take this here, but uh, um, she, she is, uh, she's something else. I'll put it that way. She is definitely something else. Uh, for those who I don't know are sleeping under a rock, or I'm pretty sure all of our listeners know who she is, right? So I, I would think that most of them do. The daughter of the great one, Mr. Wayne Gretzky, 99, as uh, I believe he refers to himself, which is uh, always fun to give yourself a nickname. But, uh, yeah, always cool to see Paulina giving D- Dustin the hug after a big tournament win uh, back in 2016 at Oakmont. It was a cool moment to not only have her coming out, but uh, I think they had just had their first kid uh, not uh, that long before that. And so, yeah, interesting to see DJ as somebody who has always been known as a bit of a understated party guy, um, one, of the, one of the boys, we might say. Uh, becoming a little bit more of a family man, just uh, so be it, or uh, albeit with uh, the family being somewhat uh, yeah, two, high two profile. Two kids now, right? Yeah, so he's got, got two, two now. now. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I saw a shot of like them 
kind of taking a little family or I guess like not a, not a family photo, but kind of a team DJ photo about they're getting on the PJ to uh, fly to St. Bard, as mm-hmm. I understand it, uh, with Paulina, uh, the great one, Janet Gretzky, who's kind of <laughs> gets somewhat famous in, in sports circles. Obviously, Austin is his caddy, who's his brother, swing coach, that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, Paulina's definitely uh, what they call them the wags, the uh, the wives and girlfriends. So that's a, yeah, that's the, the, the British. She uh, yeah. is certainly uh, probably at the top of that world ranking as the uh, the wags go out on the PGA Tour. That might be a future podcast topic, Jay Till. So good top, top, to put that one behind top the top ten wags, put that one behind right? the paywall. So one for yeah. each sport, maybe or so. I don't. know. There's different ways we can break that down. Yeah. So that'll be a premium content. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. DJs. Place in the game is probably uh, maybe maybe disputable. His place on the arm of the the partner, I believe, is what she's called now. I think we're beyond. Once you're a fiance for like six years, I think you're moving to a different status. I think we're partner at this point. But uh, no doubt that he is uh, the Mount Rushmore of WAG golfer partners. Yeah, and we think about guys that you know. 2020 has been an awful year for for the vast majority of, of the world's population, yeah, let, let alone the U.S. population. Yes. Right? I think that's fair to say. But we think about guys that maybe have, if, if you think about winning 2020, right? So you think about Colin Morikawa, right? We talked about that a few mm-hmm. few months mm-hmm. ago, the PGA victory there. And uh, uh, you think about Patrick Mahomes, right? So he he wins a Super Bowl, gets a Super Bowl ring, right? Gets engaged. They're going to have their first kid and just tremendous, you know, gets a $500 million contract extension with the Chiefs. You know, DJ's got to be right up there, right? So you think about guys that have uh, won 2020 despite all the, uh, the, the crazy circumstances. So that could be another future pod uh, topic as well, who, Jay Till. So yeah, I, th- I like look that. back on and, this crappy you know, year. Who who actually uh, kind of kind of had a good year? Right? You know, and I think it goes without saying. You slot uh, you and I right in behind it, starting a, a world famous podcast in 2020. So we've we've clearly got our share. We're of the, definitely uh, the zip code pie. famous right now, right? I think in the seven oh, yeah. seven three seven three zero uh, zip we're, code we're, here. We're, yeah, we're, we're huge in the yeah, seven three yeah, ones yeah, for yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. we're we're very very excited about that. Yeah, but, the stats uh, stats say that the, uh, the the OKC zip code loves us. <laughs> what you know, in all seriousness kind of transitioning into that uh and we're going to talk a lot still talk more masters but kind of come back around to dj what you know you have gotten into golf in general but certainly you know following at at a at a high level the last several years with all the talent that's out there on tour we talked about that quite a bit on the preview pod just how many elite uh top 10 top even 20 golfers there are DJ, among others, is kind of easy to get forgotten. You know, after I after I read off those uh, those stats to you, how could he be forgotten? But you know, you've seen him enough. What do you think he should uh, be? How should he be considered in the overall status, not just in the current game, but generationally, and then maybe even all time? Yeah, from a talent perspective, I mean, I think you have to start putting him into that conversation of maybe a top ten all timer because you think about okay. you, you, you think about the the skill set that he brings to the game of golf, right? He's a big guy. 
first yep. and foremost. Athletic, right? athletic. Incredibly athletic, right? We've seen videos of him jumping out of the, the swimming pool, right, and all these other kind of crazy athletic feats. And and you think back, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago now, and Tiger kind of started that movement of, hey, look, I'm not a golfer, I'm an athlete, right? So this is the yeah. sport that I play, but I'm, I'm taking it seriously in the workout regimes and all the things that go into it. And you've seen him really spawn an entire generation, and it's this age group, right? You think about the DJs, and you think about uh, the Brooks Kepkas, and, and you think about some of those guys, you know, the Xanders, the JTs that are in that age group that's kind of coming up through that now and being influenced about that. But to be such a great athlete, to be that big, uh, to be able to hit it that far, but then also the consistency and then the short game is really what's so impressive, you know, on that front. I, I think I do think that you have to start putting him into that conversation of generational talents in in just a an incredibly talented golfer and having all the skill sets kind of built into one body and being able to do so many things, right? You think back to you know, obviously Tiger in the late 90s and the early 2000s, right? You think back to, you know, your Jack Nicklaus, right? So in the, uh, what, late 60s and throughout yep. the early 70s, right? I think it would be his generation. I'm trying to – I'm escaping – it's escaping me now as to who would be that guy maybe from the 80s. Uh, into the early 90s, right? Who would be that level? Maybe, I don't know if Greg Norman's the right word. Yeah, right? I he think didn't, he didn't Greg have Norman the ma- the could be in there. Right, he straddles 80s and 90s. And I think that when you when you kind of zoom out and you think about DJ, first of all, the first zoom is generationally, right? So where does he stack up in uh, you know, what really has been the Tiger and now I wouldn't call it the post-Tiger era, but post-Peak Cat era, I, I maybe not. It's still not unequivocal that DJ is at the top of the list, but nobody would not agree with that argument at some level. That uh, people would listen to, yeah, DJ is at the top of top of that list, right? Well, I, I think his mental approach to the game has got to be a big part of it as well, right? You don't know if things are good or things are bad with his. That's approach, a great point. Right? You think yeah. about the, the Rorys and other so others. Think, guys so that maybe fall the into way that, to put right? it is, and if you're if you're to say in the history of the game, who makes it look the easiest while he's doing it oh, and he's is the most there. fun yeah. to watch. He is up there, yes, absolutely, probably top three all time. In fact, sometimes even Cat didn't make it look as easy as DJ's making it look whenever he was playing so well. So I think if you go from that angle, yes. Generationally, I think you're never going to get away from the majors argument. You know, DJ having quote only two majors hurts him even when you talk you're talking about his genre of golfers. You know, Rory having four, Brooks having four, even Jordan Spieth having three. There's a lot of guys that are in his class that have more majors. However, it's not all about the majors. You know, if we put I think that, that that's unfair and Unlike other sports where you're, it is all about championships and you're talking about a whole season, right? A whole, you know, three, four, five months, six months season. Baseball takes forever, right? You're, you're building to that. It identifies the best team more times than not. If you're not getting it done in the postseason, you're not looked at as uh, an all-time great team. With golf, I mean, it's if you think about it, it's 16 days a year that you have to play really, really well to win a major. So I think that we put a little bit too much emphasis on it. So when you look at all-time wins, just wins, you know, PGA Tour wins, 
he's a lot higher up on the list than he is in majors. And so I think generationally, yeah, he's right there. Top 10 all time, I, 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 can't, I can't go there yet. And, I, and even though I'm sounds like I'm being hypocritical, it's not like majors don't matter. And I'm going to talk about that list after getting your thoughts about, you know, that all-time type uh Well, I, I would say this, you know, for, for, for DJ's perspective, right, he's got two. But arguably, he could have had three, right? So you think back to, was it the PGA where he had that, that yep. penalty for PGA soling it in, a, in a, a fairway bunker? Or it was kind of a waste bunker, I guess, right? So it wasn't, wasn't really a bunker, right? That ended up costing him. Uh, I'm trying. It escapes me now as to what year that 2015 was. 2015 PGA Championship okay, at yeah. uh, Whistling Straits. Okay, so yeah. conceivably he he could have three uh, had uh, had somebody not call in from television. I think it's what it was. Right, that yeah, was the story. Right, call somebody it. called in from TV saying, "I think that guy sold his club in the bunker. You should assess him a two stroke penalty," and it ended up costing him uh, on on that uh, that one. But no, I, I it's it's a fair argument, right? And so when you think about again, I think maybe that's part of what. I don't leads a guy like me to be attracted to DJ's game because I know how difficult it is. We all know how difficult it is to play this game and to make it look so easy and so effortless as to the way that he goes about it, uh, I think is really attractive from that standpoint whenever you're following uh, a guy's game. And so, yeah, I think maybe that perhaps influences me unduly uh, compared to bottom line results. But you, know, you talk about winning tournaments, right? I mean, the guy, you know, he just he cruised through the FedEx, FedEx Cup playoffs, which is kind of a, you know, a season-long uh, uh, measuring stick, if you will, and those things are weighted whenever you get into those final yep. three tournaments at the Northern which Trust now, and the BMW. Which he's and he, now won a FedEx Cup. Yep, yep. So first time on that, what, I think pocketed $15 million, right? Didn't they raise the money for that? It was an incredible oh, amount un, of money. Un, just unreal yeah. amount uh, so, I mean, of should, dollars. Hell, I, I think if you're going to ask me to pick one tournament I was going to win, maybe that one, right? so, <laughs> Well, certainly so, from a yeah. dollar standpoint, that yeah, would be the one to win. Just, just um, dwarfs everything else. But, uh, yeah, in, impressive Impressive 2020, I think, is one way uh, that you would have to describe DJ's uh, game uh, from a 20 uh, calendar year perspective, I would say, or a season perspective. And again, looking forward to what he's going to do in 2021. Again, fingers crossed, and yeah. we're all hoping and praying that things get back to a relative normal there so we can have the schedule that uh, uh, we would anticipate with uh, kicking off with the players. Yeah, obviously, I agree in with you. And, um, yeah, for, first of all, let me, uh, before I get called out on this by our listeners, it was 2010 PGA Championship, 2015 Jason Day won, uh, 2010 it's been that long? 2010 Holy PGA cow. Championship. where God, he sold we're the, old. Where he wow. sold the club, and uh, two-stroke two penalty would have been in that playoff, was playing great. But that just kind of last things on DJ, you know, when I, if I, if I read off the names of guys that have two majors, you know, even most of our hardcore listeners might not know some of these. And I, the list, here's here's one thing. The list is so long, we are not going to read them all on <laughs> the pod. There's a bunch of twos I'm going to yeah. give you some examples uh, of folks that I'm guessing you probably have never heard of. Leo De, De, Deagle, Olin Dutra, Doug Ford, Jock Hutchinson. I think he has a car dealership around here, right? <laughs> so he's selling the Zuzus now, right? Um, if this gives you any, I mean, Zach Johnson has two majors. I know you've heard of him, but if that tells you folks who have won two majors, obviously 2007 masters in 2007 masters and 15 British, I believe, British Open. are the, uh, two uh, very unexpected John McDermott, Bob Martin, 
Willie Park Jr. So, yeah, I, I don't need to go on to prove my point here that Dustin Johnson is a name certainly okay, two, sticks two out above Two is not those. enough. Two is not enough. And that being said, if you think about Greg Norman, only two. People would think him of him as an all-time great. Would you, wouldn't you say? Bernhard Longer. Bless his heart. He should have had more. Yeah. Two majors. Um, there was another name on here. Johnny Miller. I mean, folks would think, oh, man, Johnny Miller, that guy was a stud back Oakmont, in the 70s. 73, right? Yeah. Two majors. So I think you kind of, if you mix the majors with the overall totals, and, you know, he's not done. So, right, we have opportunity for him to continue to win. I think he's entering into his peak. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. if he gets to three majors, I think that really, I know it seems weird, like it's only one more. I think that does elevate him to a much shorter list. And then definitely if he gets to four or five, now we're talking serious. But, uh, you know, if you think about it, there are 11 guys that have won seven or more majors. And I think eight of those 11 are names you would absolutely know uh, to get in that all-time great list. So he's got a little more work to do, but certainly he is a generational talent. He's awesome to watch. And on top of that, great vibe and somebody that's very easy to root for, which really is what watching golf's all about, right? Absolutely. I, I agree. And so looking forward to seeing what he does in the 2021 calendar year. Again, not not that far away, gang. So March will be here before we know it at the players and then obviously the Masters uh, just a few weeks following that. But, you know, I, I guess we, we have to talk lasting memories of this Masters, right? So when we say, you know, a, a Masters that will not be forgotten because of some of the performances, DJ in particular, but because of the circumstances, right? Being played in environment. November, yeah, yeah in, in, you know, kind of part of the, the history or the lore now, kind of going into the record The no books, fans, but, right? We yeah. talked about that in the preview pod. I think yeah. that showed out crazily yeah, the I different things the, that you could see. You know, some of the guys talked about it. There was actually more people out there than what they had even anticipated, right? You think about some staff and some other folks. That yeah, a lot of members limited, got to go out. Limited pass, there. I guess. Yeah. But, you know, you could still hear some people clapping for good shots around uh, uh, some of the green and whatnot so it wasn't quite as uh, quiet or sterile perhaps as, as maybe uh, what we anticipated from a television viewing standpoint but even from the golfers perspective as well because some of the guys have mentioned that uh, in their post-game press conferences but you know let's go let's go recap it right so it's still fresh in our memory right now yep. jay till so let's do it you know here on this where Tuesday. you want to go first uh, you want to go most memorable shot Right, you want to start Most there. So, what, what's the shot that you'll you'll recall from whenever you think 2020 Masters in November? What's the shot that's going to ring out to you or kind of last in your memory? I off the, off the top of my head, the most impressive shot that I would remember is Cameron Smith on number nine on Sunday in the pine straw. He lands at about three inches from the uh, the back left bunker. It could have easily gone in the bunker. Instead, it takes the slope and rolls down to about three feet. Incredible shot. I think that that's the one that stands out. I mean, heck, he also had one on seven, I believe, where he was deep in the trees. And it's like, is he go? Where's he? He's going up. He went straight up in the air over all these trees, dropped it on the green. So I would say he actually had the two. Most memorable shots that I'll remember. Um, I know it's not one shot. I will certainly always remember Tiger's 10 and seeing him hockey stick it around uh, for 10 minutes on number 12. But if I had to pick one, that shot that Cam Smith hit out of the pine straw on nine, unreal. I was was going crazy when I saw that. Well, this is a cop-out on my part, but... The shot that I'm going to remember, but was I? Does that have to do with DJ and Paulina? Because you know, we've, <laughs> no, already, we've already no, it that. doesn't. So okay. although I, I won't for soon forget that, but 
I would have to say it was Tuesday at the practice round and John Rom skipping it across okay, the pond get behind that, for yeah. a hole in one on his birthday, right? So just there, you know, the media coverage of that shot, it was just played over yeah, and over, and that, that was that was absolutely times. incredible. And so I know it doesn't count uh, unofficial uh, most memorable shot there, but that's definitely going to be something that kind of stands out uh, to me. And again, Tigers ten will, will be one, but you think about well, DJ one, right? So you have to think about, but you know, some sort of incredible shot that he hit, but, like, he was just super consistent. There right? were I was like, well, I'm gonna, incredible I'm hit shots. It, it was, hit in the fairway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess one of them, now, now that I'm, I'm, we're talking through this, would be uh, uh, Bryson's lost ball on 13, yeah. right? So, on his 13th yeah, hole, right? So, you know, the, uh, the, the controversy there, uh, if there was a guy, it wasn't really a controversy. But, you know, not a terrible shot by any means, but I guess it kind of got stuck in the mud or in a in a wet spot there. And, again, the, uh, the marshals finding it after he had to go back and to tee off again and then, as he's putting out, uh, they actually find the ball. But, you know, that quote of, so you're telling me if I can't find my ball, it's a lost ball. It's like, well, yeah, again, that's kind of how it works, big guy. So, but uh, I understand his frustration because it wasn't a terrible shot by any means. And there's, you know, 14 four marshals in the fairway and uh, 19 cameras kind of following the action and no one could find that ball. So um, that that might be something that will kind of last there uh, from, a, from a memorable shot standpoint. But, you know, next topic, we have to go breakthrough player, Jay Till. So, who kind of okay. come out of the woodwork? I mean, you mentioned Cam Smith. You mentioned, our guy Sung Jay, right, has to fall into that category of a consideration. But who's going to be your breakthrough player as you kind of think back on this 2020 Masters and say, wow, that guy kind of came out of nowhere. He's probably got a future ahead of him. Well, if we were going to qualify it by coming out of nowhere and breaking through, then we probably would have to go to Dylan Fratelli. Talking about a name that not a lot of people, uh, even golf followers, had heard a lot about. He finishes tied for fifth at 11 under, much like um, maybe Rory. He had a bad round, uh, round two. Uh, Rory was in round one. But, uh, you know, Fratelli goes 65-67 in rounds one and three and balanced that out uh, with a 73-72, two and four. But he was... Yeah, I was surprised that he shot even par on Sunday because he certainly seemed to be playing better than that. Uh, but I would call it if you if it had, had the good goggles on too, right? Yeah, so he, he had, had, the, had some yeah, crazy he had the, glasses, had the glasses yeah. going. Um, I would, you know, if 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 the qualifier is came out of nowhere, I would say Dylan Fratelli as the breakthrough player. More generally speaking, as breakthrough, you know, Sung Jay definitely qualifies for me from the standpoint of he's been playing well in. Pretty much every tournament, certainly before the restart, he won at Bay Hill and the hardest, I'm sorry, not Bay Hill, a Honda, the hardest of hard conditions. And breakthrough in this case is more breaking through and contending at a major. And he certainly did that and did it very impressively. So I'd, I'd take two as I'm, I'm, I'm want to do. Breakthrough coming out of nowhere for Telly. Breakthrough kind of cementing his himself as uh, somebody to be reckoned with, I would go with uh, my, my man, Sung Jay. No, I, I can't argue with those two picks. Those would probably be the two picks that I would put out there as well, you know, leaning towards Sung Jay, just given the fact that we, we knew who he was and his ability to just be there in and around uh, the final uh, uh, 10, top 10, top 20 uh, on Sundays for, for – 
regular PGA events, but being able to do it at a Masters and do it at a major, I think he took. I think he took the next step. Yeah, it wouldn't, so. wouldn't shock me to see him compete and be there and crack a few top tens at the majors in 2021. Right. I totally agree. And then I would throw maybe one more guy that uh, hopefully will will continue to follow uh, from a breakthrough perspective. You got to be impressed with the young guy, the amateur Andy Ogletree. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Low amateur, two. right? Minus two. He was the low am. Finished tied for 34th. A great performance playing with Tiger the first two days. Um, shoots uh, a disappointing 73 in round one, but then under par in rounds one and uh, two and three. So I'd probably throw him out there on the on the breakthrough. I believe he's turning pro is maybe this week or turning pro very soon uh, after completing his amateur career at Georgia Tech and playing in his well earned Masters through winning the U.S. Amateur. So yep, we'll throw name, three at you. Name to keep in there. The keep listeners in mind. can keep yep. us uh, accountable to following Ogletree's career over the next couple of years. Well, let's go opposite end of the spectrum here, Jay Till, and maybe talk about your biggest disappointments. Uh, from the 2020, right? Who did you have really high expectations on and who kind of failed to live up to those expectations coming into this 2020 Masters, bud? Well, the listeners of this podcast certainly would take me to task if I didn't start and maybe end with Justin Thomas. JT. Who finished fourth, right? So let's, it's all, I know we got to keep it relative. It's all We do have to keep it relative, especially from somebody who shot under par all four days. Yet, he was in position, great position, after two rounds, and seemingly, both on Saturday and Sunday, hit some shots that he is now starting to do pretty consistently that come out of nowhere and put himself behind the eight ball. And biggest disappointment, certainly, in my mind, he's the poster boy for that this week. I think that I am now officially concerned coming into the Masters. I was just uh, maybe the major moment is what he needs. Again, it's hard to say that, and it's easy to poo-poo it away when you say you shot four rounds under par, solo fourth, 12 under par. Talk about a score that would have won a lot of Masters. 12 under par, 12, 1,300 par is normally what the winning score is. But I just, as much as I ride for him and I tell the listeners how great he is and how he's going to be a multi-time major winner and I just can't not call him a disappointment, I think that he's got he's to figure something out when it comes to that. Um, again, this wasn't a closing the door kind of situation because he wasn't out front. But... You know, to play on, um, I think it was for the tournament, to play 13 and 15, he only played those at one under par. I think he played 15 at one over par for the week, or maybe I had those flip-flopped. But to only be one under, having eight shots, eight, eight tries at those two holes, which for him are basically par fours, if he would have played those better, he would have at least been in that challenging group at 15, maybe 16 under par, so... Biggest disappointment, that's an easy one. Don't even have to go through uh, honorable mentions. Justin Thomas for me, and that just shows you how I have expectations I have for the guy. Yeah, I think it was 13, I think is what he what he actually, that par five is the one that he had struggled with. He actually, actually eagled uh, 15 on Sunday and um, got that. Thank goodness. Got a little better score there. But, yeah, he, he stumbled out of the gates on Sunday on, on the second hole. The par five there made a bogey there and just kind of, 
uh, found it difficult to kind of get going from there and just didn't didn't make enough happen. But I, I'm with you. I mean, given given the relative expectations, and, and I think he is kind of getting into that on position as to like, hey, look, this guy, he's going to break through it and win one of yeah. these here soon enough and just win. win yeah, there's no, happen, there's no, right? yeah, there's no excuses at this point. We get it. We, you got to get it done. Or you're you're, you're going to now in 2021, you're at a heightened level of criticism for not, again, not even winning this week. I'm not saying that because he didn't win. It's a massive, the biggest disappointment. It's because of how he got to where he finished in the tournament. It did not feel like he was challenging it felt like he was you know stop it start and stop start and stop start and stop so i think it's a fair way yeah, to put it don't don't want to belabor the point uh, talking about you know big expectations coming into the week i assume you're going to take it a little bit different direction on biggest disappointment um uh, emphasis on the word big well i mean I, I think yeah you have to start with with Bryson DeChambeau, right so in in the expectations that were coming into it for him uh, and, and maybe some of that was induced by some of the things that he said coming into the tournament, right? Yeah. And so in the little bit, and he's got that little you know, self sabotage right? going there. But I think the media kind of fed into it as well, and, and probably rightfully so, right? Given his performance at the U.S. Open uh, uh, just a, a few uh, a couple months ago, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't. You can't question his ability, right? So I think the, the the ability to hit it, I mean, the ability to carry it 360 in the air is, is something that uh, not most uh, humans That is uh, true, and it really, was interesting um, that he didn't, I don't know what was going on, if his timing was off. He, he wasn't getting it out. There was a couple times that he did, but for the most part... He was not getting it out yeah, there. Like he's was, been getting it out there. We were watching it on the on the live coverage, uh, certainly at Saturday at Chalk, but then even on Sunday when he was kind of out of it by then, right? So he wasn't on TV as much. But you would see the group that he was playing with, and it wasn't like he was hitting it 50 yards past the group right. that he was playing with, right? It's like, well, he might hit it a little bit further, but they were right there with him. And so, yeah, I think we all had this expectation or this anticipation coming in, seeing him hit it to places on the golf course that no one else has been able to reach in the past, right? And so I don't. I don't think it really played out that way, right? So, and again, I don't know if that was strategy, if that was just merely execution, right? So, I mean, we've all been out there saying, "Hey, I want to hit it right here," and hitting it to exactly where do you where you want to hit it is the hardest thing in the game, right? So, if we could all do that, we'd be in a lot better shape. But, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I think I, I'm not personally disappointed, but I think from an expectation standpoint, you have to throw him into the mix because it just didn't pan out the way that we thought it would. True. Um, kind of funny. Uh, that we're saying, yeah, he didn't really get it out there that much. He did lead the field in driving distance at 334, so shame on me. But it certainly didn't seem like it was. Uh, yeah, it, it, wasn't, but again, it like, wasn't quite as overpowering okay, ne- of next advantage, guy, right? Um, you know, 324, Cam Champ. Three, 334, 324, three, I guess it does kind of get, from an exponential standpoint, he was a lot further out than the rest of the guys. Yet, didn't, I think uh, there was two times that yeah, I saw yeah, him. Yeah, but still. Yeah, but still. I think there were only two times the whole week, and I, I got to watch him a lot. Yeah, Sunday, we didn't see much of him, but I got to watch him quite a bit the first three rounds, and there was a time on number two, I think he hit one like 380 and had something short into that par five, and then there was one time on 13 where he did take the line that he'd been talking about and had like 125 yards in on number 13, which is absolutely absurd. But, yes, he didn't execute the way he was talking about executing. And so I, you know, if if I take my uh, internal bias out of it on JT, I think most folks would totally agree with you. Biggest disappointment is Bryson from uh, where he finished in the tournament. Um, Might might I add one stroke behind 63-year-old Bernhard Longer is uh, 
who I think averaged, if I saw right, 260 yards Try off the Try for team. show and putt for dough, man. Boom. So we've heard it a million times, right? In, in Bernhard Longer's uh, bright orange, red, reddish orange pants, which we're going to talk about best and worst dressed here in a moment. I don't want to step on our toes here, but, <laughs> you know, you know, transitioning, kind of moving forward, JT, we have to talk a little bit about, you know, given that it was a Masters that was so different, right, and having it in the fall, you know, what was your best uh, or what do you think was the best thing, I should say, about having the Masters in November, again, knowing full well that we may never see that again in our lifetime, right? So uh, there's there's that potential. But, you know, it wasn't all bad, right? So there, there oh, were no. some positives that kind of came along with it. So what do you think was the best thing about having the Masters in the fall? I would say the best thing about having the Masters in the fall would be twofold. One would be that the literal colors of Augusta were different. The kind of the foliage of the trees turning over in November. We saw a lot of uh, leaves on the ground. Kind of the pine straw had a little bit different look to it. And so the overall vibe I thought was, was really awesome. And then I think I said it this way on the preview pod as well, and it certainly came true, is not so much fall as a season, but having to move it and then because of COVID not have the patrons, I thought was the best thing about a unique Masters being in a different time of year. Because as I said earlier in the podcast, some of the photography, excuse me, videography, camera shots that they were able to do with not having any fans there showed us different slopes, yep. The sight showed lines us were different, different yep. Uh, yep. even pieces of the parts of the property that I, I mean, again, I have been religiously watching the master, religiously watching it since 97. He's not kidding people. Watching it since, you know, probably 94. And I, there were things that I had never seen in all my years of viewing it. Like that structure exists. And it's, you know, it's not like they're doing like all blimp kind of drone shots. We're talking about just a normal shot going down 15. You know, no grandstands. You're able to see this kind of uh, what looked kind of like a maintenance building off in the distance that I'd never seen before. Uh, this little, like, had to be some sort of, like, water um, urn kind of little building behind 12. <laughs> never seen before. Um, getting to see kind of through 16 down over to 6, which is right behind it. Um, just, I think the sight lines were awesome. Uh, certainly will stick in my head a lot in terms of the best thing about the Masters being in this unique COVID patron-free fall time. No, I mean, it was. It was interesting to see, the, the again, I think the colors, right? It would be the way the, the you describe it, right? The, the, the trees, uh, there weren't quite the same pinks uh, in, the, in the bright spring colors that we're so used to with the azaleas. But but the fall colors and the the colors on the leaves of the trees there had, had a different uh, feel to it. Uh, and it wasn't wasn't better. It wasn't worse. It was just different, right? So and I think that's a good way to kind of put it. But I enjoyed it, right? And again, any Masters, whether it be in November or July, or uh, uh, it's better than no Masters, right? So I think that that would be the uh, the best way that we can describe it. But yeah, it was fun. It was enjoyable to kind of see uh, some different feels, different looks to it uh, that we've never been able to see before. But you know, speaking of looks, J Till, 
Right. We oh, yeah. know one of the things that you and I were pounding I, I on was hoping you, going into this, this man, we, we, we had, I know we're getting up to the hour mark here and we got one more bit that we want to get in one more segment that we want to talk about before we, we sign not, off here, please, but we can't cut fashion. We have we to talk it. about best dressed and worst dressed. And so I, I want to start please, Hill, please. I, and I may be stealing your thunder here, but you and I, I think we, we either swapped uh, tweets about it or text messages about it, but that sweater that big cat had on Sunday, the, the red sweater, with just the the very understated black swoosh there on the left left chest, like I want one of those. Now I'm not going to make it look nearly as good as what he makes it look, but I true. thought that thing was so simple, so understated. And again, I think he ended up shucking it at some point because it got a little warmer as the sun came out. But that thing looked tight. It looked really nice. You know, cat, I love that. Cat's got to stay warm. It's hard for him to get activated, and the sweaters are always crispy. They're always very. Very well tailored. You can tell that they put a lot of time and effort and let's get just the right fit. It's funny. What you can do is you can Google like 97 Masters and see the sweater he had on then and how it was like he literally had the sleeves kind of rolled loose, up right? yeah, versus yeah. what they have him in now, which is just absolute perfection. Loved the sweater. Uh, love it. Uh, you know, for most guys, uh, the blade collar look, I'm probably out. Cat, not a problem. But uh, I would give an endorsement to uh, the red sweater cat hat on in terms of the best dressed. There, were, there were a lot of candidates for worst dressed. Were I think we before we, before we get that, to worst, I do want to shout out, and I think I did this on Twitter as well, but uh, our guy that we've already talked about once on the pod tonight, Andy Ogletree, you know, in all the fashion faux pas that happened and even kind of the let's juice it up, let me kind of be edgy, it's nice to see somebody in a classic golf outfit on Sunday he had a nice kind of blue uh, dark kind of navy polo had the white pants a nice looking belt just look very very uh, classic which I can definitely appreciate so I would probably give him my nod uh, for best dressed and we you know we had some other guys I think Funny, funny enough, I think we were both on uh, Team Bernard for the uh, the different oh, color pants. Oh man, those pants, man! He was bringing the heat with those things. You want to talk about a peacock, man? He he was he was flaunting. Now the shirt was usually black or some sort of understated color, but the pants—he let the pants do the talking uh, on both Saturday and Sunday. So yeah, the old man uh, again, not not getting around from a distance standpoint quite the way that he used to, but uh, still finding a way to shoot under par at the Masters. So, uh, but he looked really good. I'll, I'll tell you, I really liked Rory's. Uh, set up on I think it was a purple right so kind yeah. of purple hat yeah, he, uh, he, purple he, shirt you know kind of a, a white pants you know the purple he and sharp white. on Sunday that was a good look as well and then you know got to show some love to our guy uh, uh, Abe Answer right so I, oh, Michael yeah. Palmer pointed that out I think uh, the uh, the Wildcat uh, the tequila hat uh, and then the uh, the Wildcat drilling uh, shirt uh, from a sponsor uh, he uh, he's he, he might be our uh, uh, Roy McAvoy ten cup uh, special there from a sponsor uh, <laughs> standpoint so yeah, I thought he looked good trucking uh, company or had, like the, uh, had, had the had like. the flowing locks. Uh, he he was sharp looking, but yeah. I mean, again, I don't know where we start I, from I, the worst. You know, you know we probably could spend uh, twenty minutes on it and still oh, not get goodness. our point across. But Ugh. we had some absolute putrid fashion going on. We got we got to start with Matsuyama, right? My God, what was he wearing? Yeah, Mister Vertical Stripes. Oh, it was so uh, definitely so if you if you Google Hideki Matsuyama Masters. You will see the candy striper outfit that he oh, had on, yeah, on so uh, for the second round. He doubled down on that on Sunday with kind of a blue, a Carolina blue. Oh, right? Man. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a blue. tough scene. Hideki is actually known for kind of the bad fashion, so 
he certainly didn't, I guess, disappoint from that perspective. But we already, I think, on the Saturday pod, we've totally flamed Nike for, like, what are they trying to do, putting some of this stuff out there that absolutely nobody's going to buy. And maybe maybe somebody will, and that just goes to show you Nike's reach uh, on apparel. But uh, definitely got to just completely flame Nike. Uh, unless they want to sponsor us, then I'll kind of turn, oh, yeah. turn, we, we turn things around. Oh, yeah, we will definitely I'll wear uh, anything switch, you want me to wear. Switch that to uh, yeah. But, yeah, worst dressed. I think we're in agreement that Hideki probably takes the cake. Uh, I was not a fan of the putrid browns that were going on. Yeah, the, I will the say Earth Cat. Tones, right? Cat yeah. made it look good. Brooks, even, Patrick Even Reed. his. I would say Cat's yeah. was more like a champagne, where the other guys were like UPS brown. Again, no free ads. Uh, but what are you going to do? It's the Masters. You're getting paid to wear something. Certainly don't blame the guys wearing it, other than the fact of get a better agent. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, I think it's a fair way to put it. I, I will say, uh, we mentioned it earlier, but Dylan Fratelli, the South African, I like the goggles, man. So he kind of had had a unique look <laughs> out there. So I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a guy that wears glasses uh, in and got a yeah. Imagine big, like bald a, head myself. Imagine so like might, a 2020 yeah. version of yeah. Rex Specs. That's yeah, what that yeah. Guy had not on. quite, not quite uh, Kurt Rambis territory, but uh, you <laughs> get you get to wrap around there and kind of do some things with that. So I think he's got potential to market that. So I would look him uh, look at him maybe getting a uh, sponsorship from a. Uh, uh, you know, one-hour lens or something like that here coming up pretty soon. So I, I like the goggles and like what he was able to do there. So I did see a tweet, somebody saying, does Dylan Fratelli actually know he has those glasses on? Oh, which no. Which I those, thought was hilarious. Those things become so comfortable, bud. So he, he was just grooved in there. So, yeah, you forget about them. That was a good look. That was a tight look. So, uh, well, JT, so last segment here. Again, we're we're, at, we're over the hour mark. Yeah, always to hard come, to transition, so. you know, out of Master's Week. But, it, yeah, you know, we, it is. we've got some good stuff. Uh, on the on the schedule this weekend in a totally different sport. I don't know if that's where you're going. That's with, where uh, I'm going. Okay. So we a little little game here in the state of Oklahoma called Bedlam, J Till. And so from a Bedlam golf standpoint, you know, we we take a look at the finish uh, of uh, OU and Oklahoma State golfers at the Masters this weekend, and I think OU come out on top, right? So our guy Abe Answer, oh, you uh, did come under. out on top this now, week. He didn't play so hot on Sunday, he, right? So uh, he kind of put faded. himself there in contention, along with uh, Justin Thomas and uh, Fratelli and a couple other guys after Saturday. And Sunday was not kind to him, but it was good enough to have the best finish between Sooners and Pokes. I think uh, Ricky Fowler, right? I think was the highest. Ricky Fowler uh, was finishing low, low poke, poke right at three under and again probably i think most oklahoma state fans and probably ricky himself would, would would have been expecting a better finish there than three under again he come out of the gates at 70 70 right so he had had two well, not to bash decent. rick but uh, uh if they were expecting more than that they haven't been following very i know he's, he's been in the woods a little bit so but uh, i was hoping that uh, he would he would kind of get it together Our, you know our local guy who's been kind of the uh, uh, the talk of the summer, right? Matty Wolf, right? Uh, uh, Oklahoma Total State golfer. Matt, we yeah, didn't tough, even, yeah, he could have been a big uh, tough Friday round. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he he didn't really uh, uh, come out. Obviously missed the cut there after a uh, seventy. Uh, on Thursday, and then uh, following that up with the 77. Again, kind of a tight cut line, right? So he was even par. Uh, it was. So, so shoot, it's, uh, well. n- it's not often, I would say, in the uh, Charles Howell III was in there. Oh, he, and plus, he, had a, he had a nice yeah, run. He made the cut, right? So plus one, um, tied to 46. Yeah. I think that it, it's pretty rare. You know, we're obviously glo- gloat while we can. It's pretty rare for the, uh, the OU Sooner guys on tour to outshine the Oklahoma State guys, given the deep, deep, deep bench that they have produced over the years. But uh, we got to get it while the getting's good. 
Certainly, if it were the opposite, we probably wouldn't made that a bit this week. So it's nice to see. Uh, well, nice to see Abe answer. Are you going to give equal time? I would like to think that our journalistic integrity would say, "Hey, look, it's Bedlam week, so we got to talk about Bedlam finish from a golf standpoint." But you, you were so bold on Saturday, Jay Till, to say Sooners by two touchdowns. Now the lines have come out. OU favored Saturday night again. The first Bedlam game at night in yeah, Norman, that was which when I thought Abe answers Abe answer was going to win. And you were go a little out bullish on, on Saturday. With, That's uh, fair, but the, the Masters jacket. Um, so you know, current line is Sooners by six and a half is what I've seen. Total in this game fifty nine and a half. So maybe Vegas not quite expecting the the typical shootout that we've seen in a Bedlam game here over the last ten years. It feels like so both defenses playing a little bit better this year than I think what we're used to. But do you want to give our golf fans here in the state of Oklahoma uh, kind of reaffirm that pick of the Sooners, or, or maybe now that the lines come out, or you're, you kind of rethought it? But your pick for Bedlam football Saturday night, bud? Uh, I would absolutely not rethink that in fact I wouldn't I'm expect gonna you to <laughs> go ahead and double down saying yes a uh, 13 or 14 you know there may be a, a couple couple field goals kicked but uh let's just call it a two two touchdown win from the Sooners covering that six and a half I hadn't heard the uh the over under I like the total there as well to go over I don't think that it will be as much of a defensive shutdown as uh as folks are are talking about yeah I was hoping that Abe Answer would be in the field this weekend at the RSM down in um, Sea Island, so I could just go ahead and go full on Sooner Weekend picking him. But I believe he is—he's uh, not teeing it up this week. But uh, yeah, I think that we keep it rolling, talking about golf over the next several weeks, couple months. But we—we'll uh, have some other unique content pieces that we've got cooking for the uh, for the holiday season, as folks maybe aren't following uh, the day-to-day or the week-to-week golf as much, but certainly want to get that golf talk fix. And uh, what better way than to to talk about our OU and OSU golfers and, and at least keep an eye on those folks throughout the rest of the, uh, I guess, do you still call it the fall swing in these few tournaments that we have Yeah, I think left. we can call it that. So, yeah, uh, yeah Boomer Sooner this weekend. You heard it here. Right on cue. And uh, looking forward to that one and looking forward to the uh, the off-season for golf, so to speak, so we can talk about some interesting, unique opportunities. Yeah, and our guy Abe Answer, he pocketed 216 k for that 8-under uh, tie for 13 finish, so he can he can probably deserve to take a week off this weekend. I'm sure he'll be watching Bedlam Saturday night uh, along with uh, with the rest of us. But He's yeah. probably a stowaway and DJ's playing. He's probably in St. Barge <laughs> as well. It pops Absolutely. out with a couple tequila bottles, and it's like, let's party, guys. <laughs> let's party. Uh, but again, yeah, Jay Teal mentioned it. Uh, lots of fun stuff coming. So uh, in the offseason, again, will allow us maybe to be a little bit more creative. I don't, I don't know if that's possible, Jay Teal, but uh, a plan ahead and uh, kind of have some fun segments and some fun bits talking about uh, maybe the uh, the things from a golf perspective that uh, uh, aren't quite in the news uh, ever so often, but uh, we can kind of take some deep dives and talk about some fun stuff a little off the beaten path maybe is a fair way to put it right well i enjoyed so. this week the masters is always a highlight of my year everybody knows that i think it was only heightened uh through this experience of being able to, to talk about it on a couple of i guess three podcasts now and uh really get geeked up about it so uh kudos to you for running the ship running the controls and letting me just spout knowledge and or crazy 
uh, tidbits uh, for the folks out there. Had a great week. Great Masters. Well, speaking of those tidbits and all the crazy stats and the fun info you throw out there, Jay Till, how can our listeners interact with you on social media, bud? So you got Twitter, you got Instagram. Where you at? Throw it out there, man. Yeah, most of the content's coming out on Twitter. That's at Jonathan Teal. Obviously ramped that up tremendously for the Masters, so uh, don't be caught off guard if things uh, take a little bit of a lull. Uh, although, I'm hearing from our man Scooter Gersh that the uh, the text thread golf draft league that's been going on Ooh. since the restart coming yeah, back was, from COVID heavy. is not going going to stop Active. we're rolling right into the rsm baby so if you want you want takes on sea island you know normally the masters leaves town i'm sure everybody i'm sorry everybody leaves town from the masters and goes down to hilton head for the heritage that's the normal schedule well this year slightly different but not that far away going down the road to sea island so they're gonna have that low country vibe it's gonna be laid back guys are gonna be feeling good after the pressure pack masters so don't worry. Out on Twitter, we'll see some RSM coverage. Uh, but yeah, at Jonathan Teal on Twitter. Hit me up. As always, we'd love to hear about maybe a topic you want to hear about. We'll we'll just yes. do a whole pod yeah. on particular topics that listeners send in. We're happy to do that and love interacting with folks out on the webinars. Yeah. Well, JT, he wanted to do a whole 30-minute segment on Sea Island. I had to rein him in and say, no, no, let's talk about the Masters this week. So, again, don't get him started, people. So, he will. You throw a topic out there. He's got 45 minutes in him uh, we're talking about anything. Not surprisingly, Sungjae is in the field, and he's going to win. <laughs> there you go. Kind of throwing a little bonus pick there at the end of the pod, bud. Well, JT, as always, brother, appreciate you being in studio with me again this, this week. And, again, probably a little bit of a Thanksgiving break next week, right? So, it'll probably be a week off, and we'll kind of come back and, and uh, do the pod post-Thanksgiving, talk about some fun stuff. And we have the, the match, right, on Thanksgiving night or Friday. Maybe it's the Friday after Thanksgiving, Yeah, right? Friday so, afternoon, Thanksgiving. Yeah, some of those fun things that we're going to talk about. We'll certainly cover that. Break it down and uh, uh, talk about some of the fun stuff that's going to happen there. But, uh, you know, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going and to also keep up with everything we're doing over at the Sports Pros Network, check us out at fantasysportspros.com or on Twitter at sports underscore pros or, of course, on Instagram at fantasy sports pros and remember that's pros with an e p-r-o-s-e take care everyone we'll talk to you probably in two weeks happy have thanksgiving a, have a great thanksgiving in the interim uh, and if you do get a chance to go play as always hit them straight <laughs>